Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. Well, good morning, Grant Memorial. Welcome to Church Online this morning. Uh, We're thrilled that you are with us. Uh, My name is Cam. I'm one of the pastors here at Grant. And this morning, we're continuing in our study uh, in the Gospel of Mark, exploring the firsthand accounts of Peter as it relates to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And we find ourselves in a section of the Gospel that we have referred to as the five controversy stories at the beginning of Jesus' early Galilean ministry. And so far, Jesus has clashed with the Pharisees and teachers of the law when he forgave a paralyzed man's sin uh, prior to healing him, when he called a tax collector to follow him and subsequently dined with his friends, and over the fasting practices, or lack thereof, of his disciples. And today, the conflict and the last two controversies uh, turn to the practice of the Sabbath. So would you turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23. And we'll be reading right up through to Mark 3, verse 5. Mark 2, starting at verse 23. One Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked, as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that, that uh, you would change us as a result of encountering it this morning. Amen. Two encounters between Jesus and the Pharisees, and two more disagreements with Jesus about the appropriateness of his and his disciples' behavior. Now, we're going to unpack both of these encounters, but before we do that, it's important that we understand the significance of the Sabbath that was at the heart of these conflicts, right? So what is the Sabbath? Well, simply, the Sabbath was a day of rest on the seventh day of the week, Saturday, instituted by God and commanded for his people to observe. It's connected to and brings to mind the creation story in which God himself worked for six days 
and then rested on the seventh day when he had completed his creation. God worked and then he rested. But the term Sabbath first appears in the Bible, or or this rest is first extended to something that people should observe. When the Israelites were wandering in the desert after leaving Egypt, and God provided daily bread or manna for the people to eat. Each morning, God would provide bread to sustain his people, and so the Israelites would go out and collect enough for the day. But on the sixth day of the week, they were to collect double because there would be no manna on the seventh day. Exodus 16, 23 to 26 says, He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Six days you are to gather manna, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. So the Sabbath day was a day where the Israelites were not to work, not to collect the bread, but were to rest, exhibiting trust in the Lord's provision rather than in the work of their own hands and taking a a break from the regular routine to remember God's provision and presence among them. Now, God uh, doubles down on the importance of the Sabbath when he includes remembering the Sabbath as one of the Ten Commandments for the people of God later on in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15, we read this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So at that point, when he reveals the Ten Commandments, God attaches a clear purpose to the Sabbath day. Right? Did, did you catch that? He says that this day is to remember who God is and what God has done for you, right? He is the almighty creator God who breathed everything into existence in six days, and he is the one who brought you out of slavery in Egypt and set you free. Remember who I am and what I have done, And in order to make sure that this day would be exclusively a day set aside to God, God provided this giant pause button on the routines of each day so that nothing would steal the focus from intentional remembrance and time spent with him. In practice, this remembrance ensured restoration to body and mind, to the right place with a focus on God before the next week would begin. So there it is. The, the Sabbath day was a day set aside as holy for God with the command to pause all regular scheduled programming in order to remember who God is and what he has done. And the Jews had been honoring every seventh day as they should ever since. 
So with a basic understanding of Sabbath, let's lean into these two encounters centered around it. And our text started this morning with what seems to be like an innocent scene. Verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Seems pretty normal, right? Pretty happy Sabbath scene. Now, it's important to start off by saying that what they were doing was perfectly lawful. You see, the law reads in Deuteronomy 23, 25, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. Basically, the law says those who are hungry can take enough to eat. Picking grain in a field with your hands to eat was allowed. In fact, it was one way in which God's people ensured the survival of even the poorest among them. But the law prohibited harvesting another's grain, right? You could pick some with your hands for yourself to eat as you walk by, but once you fired up the combine, you were in violation of the law. And our text says that the disciples simply handpicked some grain as was allowable to do so, right? Even the Pharisees knew all this. They weren't upset that they were doing what they were doing. They were upset about when they were doing it. They happened to be picking this grain on the Sabbath. Now, why is this important? Right? Why does it matter what day it happened to be? What, what is the conflict here? Well, remember what we said about the Sabbath. It was an intentional day of rest to hit pause on the inevitable labor of life So work was not allowed on the Sabbath under the law. And the Pharisees saw what the disciples were doing, picking the grain as work. Now, if you're like me, you may be thinking, okay, how is picking some grain to eat work? Which reveals the challenge of following the law, right? Is what they were doing actually work? Eating certainly wasn't banned, so what's going on? If you pick up food off a plate, it's not work, but if you pick it off of a crop, it is work. How how is this decided? How does one know if they're following the law or not, especially for someone who desires to keep the commandments? What are the details of this rule? We all kind of think this way, don't we? If I tell my kids that their bedtime is at 8 o'clock, I always get hit with some clarifying questions. Does that mean that I need to be asleep at 8? Or in my room at 8? Do the lights need to be out or can I read first? What does bed at 8 actually mean, right? What is allowable under this rule and what is not? And that was a significant problem for the Israelites. They wanted to follow the law. But they had follow-up questions that the Pentateuch, the first five books in the Bible, didn't answer clearly. And so, to address this, over time, the Israelites developed a sort of ongoing oral commentary that provided practical answers to questions of the law that expanded on or supplemented the law for reasons of clarity and practical application. Now, in the second century, much of this content was written down in what is known today as the Mishnah. And the Mishnah, which was oral or spoken at the time of our passage, 
was developed over time as issues and questions arose. And it was the spiritual leaders at the time, the the rabbis or Pharisees of the law in the few hundred years before Jesus that provided the insight and clarification to these laws. So for example, the Old Testament law says that a sacrificed animal must be eaten within a day. Well, for someone wanting to follow the Sabbath, the follow-up questions were, does that mean within a 24-hour period? Does that mean it needs to be eaten before dawn or perhaps prior to midnight? And so along the way, it was declared by a certain rabbi at a certain point in time that this particular commandment applied until dawn, that the food must be eaten before dawn in order to adhere to this particular regulation, right? And and so from then on, that was the rule. And this tradition continued until each and every law had all sorts of stipulations, expansions, and additions to ensure that the law was not being broken, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And so back to the Sabbath, as we read earlier in Exodus, the commandment simply declared that work was prohibited on the Sabbath. But what did that mean? Is exercise work? Is cooking dinner work? Is feeding your livestock work? And so what had developed within Judaism at the time was a collection of 39 specific acts that were prohibited to do on the Sabbath. And one of those 39 additional restrictions was that reaping or harvesting could not be done on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, who defined picking food from crops as reaping, declared the disciples' behavior unacceptable and unlawful according to these 39 clarifying articles. Verse 24, the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now remember, when they say this, they're not referring to the the actual law. There is nowhere in the Old Testament that says you can't reap or eat or pick grain on the Sabbath. But they're referring to these oral additions, the rabbinic interpretations that had developed over the centuries. You see, in their minds, the oral tradition was to be held with the same esteem as the scriptures. And so if the Mishnah said it, it was law. And so it makes sense that the Pharisees would interpret what they were doing as unlawful, even though it was not outlawed in Scripture, because the law they were referring to was larger than the Old Testament alone. The Pharisees are simply calling it like they see it. But the main question that I have here is what were the Pharisees doing in the grain field? Did anybody else kind of ask that question as we were reading through? It's not like their offices were there. It's not like they just happened to be hanging out in the grain field. No, these Pharisees were following Jesus around, intentionally looking for reasons to accuse him, to discredit him. They were spying on Jesus, which makes this whole thing so ironic, doesn't it? Are the Pharisees not, in a sense, working by trying to catch Jesus? Was their spying, their policing, actually heeding the command for them to rest on the Sabbath? It seems like they have missed the point. 
Right? In trying to ensure that Jesus' disciples were resting on the Sabbath, they themselves were nowhere near keeping the Sabbath day holy. I wonder to what extent some of us fall in line with this. In our attempts to ensure the right actions of others, how many of us end up missing the point ourselves? Right? In our attempts to drag our kids to church, which we feel is the right thing to do, how many of us lose our joy in experiencing why we come to church in the first place? Right? I would say that yelling at our families on the way to church may be an exercise in missing the point. Or as we look around the sanctuary when that is possible, judging those who aren't there who should be. Do we, in effect, remove ourselves from the assembly because we're missing what we're here to do? Or how many of us, this morning even, have become our very own obstacles to meaningful communion with God because we're too busy judging the songs that were chosen? Do I like this one? Is this the arrangement I prefer? Rather than participating in them. Friends, we need to be careful that our religiosity does not keep us from the heart of it all. Okay, moving on to verse 25 and 26. Jesus has an answer. It says, Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is unlawful, or which is lawful only for priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. You see, just like last week's text regarding fasting, Jesus simply could have pointed out the folly of the Pharisees, that their requirements were not biblical, but were later additions. And he could have won a biblical debate here. But instead, he reminds them of the importance of grace through the story of one of their heroes, David. Now, I wish we had more time to unpack the story, but for today, for today, Jesus, Cole's notes will have to do. Jesus reminds them of the story in 1 Samuel 21, where not yet King David and his men, who were starving, broke the Old Testament law by eating food that was only to be eaten by the priests. But, but this was deemed okay by the people of God as they uh, witnessed and recalled it because the alternative would have been death for David and his men, right? They too, these Pharisees even, in their historical remembrance of this text, had granted grace to David in making this exception for their hero to avert the law for the greater good. Right? There was an appeal to the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Right? The law would not be fulfilling its purpose with David and his men dead in front of an altar full of bread. Right? The law was given to men for their benefit, not for their demise. Now Jesus is not using this story to demand that the Pharisees grant an exception to his disciples. Right? Not to shrug off the importance of the law, but rather to remind them about the point of the entire law and therefore the point of the Sabbath. He's saying, even if you were right to declare that we're breaking the letter of the law, which we're not, by the way, you are missing the spirit of the law, the very point of the Sabbath, which he declares in the very next verse. Verse 27. The Sabbath 
was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given for man's blessing, and yet with all of these extra rules and regulations, the Sabbath had become a burden, right? Not being able to untie your knotted sandal laces because you may cross the line into work, which was a thing, by the way, was not peace. It was affliction. It was not rest. It was stressful, Right? This gift from God meant to restore had become a more significant burden than if the Sabbath had not been instituted at all. Right? Man was not created to follow Sabbath rules. Rather, the Sabbath was given to provide a day of freedom for man. And then Jesus ends this dialogue with one more statement that was likely the kicker for the Pharisees present. In verse 28, he said, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now that line to us may not seem all that consequential at first glance, but the significance of Jesus giving himself the title Son of Man cannot be overstated. You see, Jesus is declaring himself here to be both creator God and prophesied Messiah, as we read in Daniel 7, 13 to 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion was an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You see, Jesus claims the title from this prophecy for himself. The one who is not man, but appeared like a son of man, who was prophesied the king to come with all authority and dominion, Forever, right? This is a significant self-disclosure of Jesus. And it becomes the way that Christ will refer to himself the most throughout the rest of this gospel as the son of man, right? He says, as the son of man himself, the very one who created the Sabbath, the one who instituted it in the first place, I have authority here over your opinions and your man-made regulations, Now notice that Jesus is not, in this or the next account, disputing the Sabbath. He's not saying that you should work on the Sabbath or that you shouldn't rest. He's not canceling the Sabbath. In fact, he affirms the Sabbath. It was his idea to begin with. He doesn't imply that, that the Sabbath doesn't apply anymore. What he's doing here is he's correcting the abuse of the Sabbath. Right? He's saying that its intent as a gift to man was to make life better, to provide rest, and to create meaningful opportunities for communion with God. And rather than the Sabbath being the best day, it had become the worst day. Rather than bringing us closer to God and restoring people, it's used to legalistically pit us and our actions against God and shackle us 
with all sorts of extra weight to carry. Right? Jesus says, as the one who is Lord over the Sabbath, I will not let that happen. Now, there are a lot of things for us to ponder uh, in this text, in this encounter, but I see two significant questions that come out of this first encounter, encounter that we all must answer in regards to the Sabbath. And the, the first one is a relatively easy question, but difficult for many of us to answer. First question is, are you keeping the Sabbath? Are you keeping the Sabbath? If, if the Sabbath is a gift from God and a commandment for his people, are you keeping the fourth commandment? Are you setting aside a day every week to hit pause, to remember who God is and to reflect on what he has done? Are you giving up work, time, efficiency perhaps along the way to ensure that it can happen? Now it's quiet in here today because there's no one in the seats, but I anticipate it would be just as quiet now if the seats were full. You see, my hunch is that among all of us tuning in, there would be very few of us who currently practice the Sabbath. Rest from all activity, from work, from errands, from chores, to remember who God is and what he's done, and to fully restore ourselves for the week ahead. Now, I'm sure that we, we all have many excuses, maybe some biblical reasons why we don't need to or some practical reasons why we can't. But why is it that we feel that we can justify disobedience to one commandment, right? As if this particular commandment is somehow optional. You see, we certainly don't feel the same way about the other commandments, do we? None of us would say that thou shalt not murder is optional, would we? Or that theft or idol worship were good suggestions but not binding. So why do we think and why has it become our practice to neglect the fourth commandment, keeping the Sabbath as if it's not important? Right? In effect, most of us have reduced the Ten Commandments to nine commandments and I'm just not sure it's within our purview to do so. As Jesus says, Sabbath was given to man. Are we going to reject the gift that God has given us for his own benefit and for his glory? Now, I know that this is a lot to think about. And I know that the Sabbath, this idea is so foreign to, to many of us. We don't practice it. Our culture doesn't honor it. Right? Many of us may not even know where to begin to think about how we may become a people or a family who honor the Sabbath. And so I thought I'd give a, a few resources, some theological, some practical, that, that we recommend if you want to dig deeper, right, and, and dig deeper into the question of what would it look like for me and my family to honor the Sabbath. And so a, a few books that, that I'd like to point out. One book is called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. Right? The Rest of God. It's a good uh, book that kind of speaks to, to what we may be missing when we're not honoring the Sabbath. Another book is called Garden City by a pastor named John Mark Comer. It's called Work. Or the subtitle is Work, Rest, and the Art of Being Human. It's a really simple read, but, but he outlines some practical ways in which he and his family practice the Sabbath. And another one, this one's a little bit more academic, but it's called Sabbath as Resistance 
saying no to the culture of now by Walter Brueggemann. Now, I don't want to give you a prescription, right? We must do this or we must do that, right? Or else I would be acting just like the Pharisees, making the Sabbath a burden rather than a blessing. But church, it is imperative that we all consider what it means for us to take God's word seriously and to keep the Sabbath day holy. It may mean giving some things up, saying no to opportunities and activities. It may make us different, set us apart from culture, but isn't that precisely the point? And the second question I think we need to ask for those of us maybe who do take the time to rest Is Jesus Lord of your Sabbath? Is Jesus Lord of your Sabbath? When you rest, what is your rest about? What is the goal of your rest? Is it about self-care? Pampering? Me time? Is it about play or travel? What is the goal of your rest? Now, none of those things are bad things per se, But if we're taking time to rest and God is absent from it, we're not keeping our Sabbath, our rest. We're not making our Sabbath holy, right? We're actually in violation of the fourth commandment, right? So just something for us to ponder. What is the goal of my rest? Because if if God is to be the Lord of my life, he certainly ought to be Lord of the Sabbath as well. Okay, lots of things for us to consider, but we need to move on to the second encounter surrounding the Sabbath. Uh, Let's pick up in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Okay, so this is another Sabbath day. And the Pharisees are still following Jesus around, trying to accuse him of something. In fact, Matthew's account of the same story says the Pharisees were looking for a reason to bring charges against him. This was serious. Good use of the Sabbath, guys. I'm sure God is really honored in the way that you're drawing near to him, seeking to bring charges against Jesus, and doing it by using a disabled man as a pawn, no less, to try and lure Jesus in. Now, we don't know if this man there with the shriveled hand happened to be in the synagogue that day, or if the Pharisees brought him there for this purpose. But either way, they were using the disability of a brother for their own deceitful purposes. Now the crazy thing, again, is that just like in the last two encounters, there was nothing unlawful about what they were thinking Jesus might do in a biblical sense. Nowhere did the Old Testament say that you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. But... In that rabbinical tradition, those additional requirements, this was one of those just-in-case additions to the law. Healing might be considered work, so healing on the Sabbath was out. And so the Pharisees waited to see if Jesus would break their traditional laws. Well, you can probably guess how this goes over with Jesus. In verse 3 and 4, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then he asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? 
to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remain silent. Now notice, Jesus is not simply using this man as a pawn like they were, right? When he invited him to stand up, he had already determined what he was going to do. He was going to heal him. His issue was not with the man in need. His issue was with those who were so blinded by their legalism that they couldn't see the point. And so he asked the question, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or evil? He asked, what is the Sabbath all about? What is really good here? The fact that I want to heal a man and restore him on the day meant for restoration? Or that you want this man to remain disabled because it's the Sabbath? Think about that. Right? How sick is that attitude? They would rather Jesus not heal this man. They would rather he stay disabled. This is what they think is the right thing, the good thing to do. But Jesus shows them their logic and asks a very basic question. Is the Sabbath about good or evil? Right? One that any, anyone present, well, if they weren't blinded by their own agendas could answer. Of course, the Sabbath was for good and not for evil. But notice what happens. The Pharisees refuse to answer, right? Their stubbornness, their pride, their agenda kept them from admitting the folly of their ways. They, they couldn't concede that healing, that restoration was good, and it kept them from experiencing the rest, the joy that the Sabbath was instituted to provide for them. Church, when we look at ourselves, where do we let our pride keep us from doing what's right? Where do we remain silent when we should be growing? Moving along, verse five. He looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Jesus is distressed. He's angry that those who are supposedly representing God in this culture are so far from the heart of God that they would rather a man remain crippled than one of their man-made regulations be broken. That those who claim to be standing for God are actually standing against what God is for and doing it in the name of God. Pastor Tim Keller provides some insight into Jesus' thoughts here. Why does Jesus become angry with the religious leaders? Because the Sabbath is about restoring the diminished. It's about replenishing the drained. It's about repairing the broken. To heal the man's shriveled hand is to do exactly what the Sabbath is all about. Yet because the leaders are so concerned the Sabbath regulations be observed. They don't want Jesus to heal this man. An incredible example of missing the forest for the trees. Their hearts are as shriveled as the man's hand. Well, undeterred in his purpose to do good, Jesus asks the man to stretch out his hand. Now, I just love that invitation what Jesus asks him to do there. You see, stretching out his hand is the one thing he couldn't do. 
It was tight. It was shriveled. The, the inability to stretch it out was precisely the problem. But the power of Jesus allows us to do things we couldn't do without him, doesn't it? And when he obediently tries to do as Jesus asked, he is successful in extending, maybe for the first time in his life, a hand that was completely restored. And I would interject a hand experiencing, maybe for the first time, true rest. Now, uh, not many people know this about me, but I have Tourette's syndrome. Now, it's not extremely severe. I've never had vocal tics, so I won't be swearing from the pulpit anytime soon. But the way that it manifests itself in my body is through involuntary motor tics. So if I'm extra tired or stressed or hopped up on caffeine, my body will do all sorts of things on its own. Like I'll blink repetitively or extremely hard, or I'll rub my arm against the side of my body, or, you know, things like that. Well, one of the, the tics that I experience quite often is that inside my shoes... My feet, my toes will clench kind of over and over again, tighten and loosen and tighten and loosen. It actually causes me to go through shoes a little bit quicker than I'd like to. But there are times when my feet will be so tight, so exhausted, that, that I'm just craving relief or respite, right? I desperately want my muscles to, to rest. And so I can imagine so vividly this man with a shriveled up hand, so tight and tired beyond his own control, feeling the relief as it is released from the, capacity, from the, the captivity that it has been in. And as he experiences the beauty of rest, you see, in this back and forth about Sabbath, Jesus actually provides a picture in this man's life of what Sabbath actually does. Right? For so many of us, after a full week of, of whatever it is that we do, whatever it is that we have been carrying, we hit day seven tight and anxious and so fatigued and in need of pause, in need of rest for our bodies, for our minds, for our souls, especially in this season. And Jesus, the Lord of Sabbath, invites us all to stretch out our weary hands so that he can give us rest. That is what the Sabbath is about. God drawing us close to him, inviting us out of the chaos so that we would remember who he is, what he has done as we stretch out our weary hands to him. As Jesus says in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to 30, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, while the Pharisees would have you believe that God's yoke is heavy with all the complex rules and regulations that determine your standing before him, Jesus says, stop chasing the rules. Stop chasing man-made religion and chase after me instead because I am the Lord of the Sabbath and in me 
you will find rest. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift that you have given us of Sabbath, of rest, of a giant pause button that allows us to remember who you are, what you have done, and what you are doing. Help us to be a people who take your your gift seriously, that we would practice the art of Sabbath and rest so that we, Lord, would be restored to the people we need to be to be your hands and feet in the world that you've sent us. God, may we experience your rest and may others experience it because we go out restored and ready to bring the incredible gospel that they don't have a list to check off, but they have a person to embrace to the world. God, we love you. We thank you for this gift. Help us to open it and to experience it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at grantmemorialchurch.com.